0: Welcome to the Mental Health in Schools podcast, designed and delivered by Anna Bateman.
1: Hello and welcome to episode seven of Series two of Halcyon Education Podcasts. In this episode, I interview Adele Bates, who's a behaviour specialist who works with pupils with social- and emotional behavioural difficulties. At a time when we're returning for all pupils, we may see some pupils struggling to adjust, getting back into a routine in September, thinking about the rules and back within the boundaries of school life. In this episode, Adele provides some insights about how we can help those pupils. She provides some important tools and approaches for helping them adjust.
0: First, a quick word from our sponsors. At Jigsaw PSHE, we believe that personal development and strategies to build mental well-being need to be taught and not left to chance jigsaw the mindful approach to pshe leads the way in providing children and young people with its acclaimed well-structured and developmental lesson a week learning experience in pshe from ages 3 to 16 detailed lesson plans and all the teaching resources needed along with free updates and ongoing support make jigsaw an invaluable relevant and fresh resource, taking the worry out of PSHE planning. Written by teachers, for teachers. And mindfulness philosophy and practice underpins the whole programme. Statutory government requirements for relationships, health and sex education are amply covered. For more information, go to www.jigsawpshe.com or call at Jigsaw HQ. Now to the podcast.
1: Well, welcome to Housing Education Podcast. I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Adele Bates from Adele Bates Education. So thank you for joining me today, Adele. You're very welcome. Thank All you. All the way from Bulgaria. I am. I am in Bulgaria at this moment. If you wouldn't mind, just introduce yourself. it would be amazing. Okay, as you said, I'm
2: Adele Bates and I'm a behaviour and education specialist. What that means is a couple of days a week I'm working in schools, mainly special schools, and that's with pupils with SEMH, social, emotional, mental health needs. These are often students who've been excluded from at least one, if not several. I think one of my pupils has been excluded from six mainstream schools. So their journey with education is usually a little bumpy. A lot of the pupils that I work with have experienced trauma, abuse, neglect. We also have quite a few children in care. So that's my kind of two or three days-ish a week role. I go into a school in Brighton, And I'm supporting with their literacy mainly in that. And then the rest of the time, I am advocating for these young people. As my mum says, I'm banging my drum. I am leading trainings, writing conferences. I'm currently writing a book as well. And it's all about these young people, the way they're perceived, the way that we work with them, the way they are or are not fitting into mainstream education, the way that I believe our British education system may or may not be meeting their needs that's really the area that i I get excited about the book i'm writing which is due out next year so 2021 is with sage publishers and it's Mm -hmm. called miss i don't give a shit (laughs) Excellent. Which kind of sums up uh, the type of young people that I love to work with.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love the passion for for that and the kind of uh, the feeling of, you know, those vulnerable kids, they need a champion. They need someone banging the drum and saying, actually, the perceptions that people have um, in school and in the press and in the community are just they're not quite right. And actually, uh, yeah, they do need a champion. I'd love for you to be able to share your wisdom, I guess, and your passion around supporting pupils with emotional behavioural difficulties. And particularly thinking about as schools come back together and we welcome more pupils together and how challenging that's been for them to have been off for the last few months. Schools may experience some challenges around pupils' behaviour from that. Just wondered if you had any thoughts or insights around that.
2: Definitely. So there's, there's two areas I want to look at here. It's the pupils that let's say are marked on a label or a quote somewhere as having SEMH or EBD is another way it's expressed, emotional behavioural difficulties. And then I'd like to come back to the majority of students and looking at as well their behaviour and how yeah. that might have changed when we come back, because I think we've got kind of two areas here. So I'll start with the SEMH pupils. If you are a special school, chances are you have been open in some way through this. The government's guidelines was that students with the HCP's educational healthcare plans were given the opportunity to be in school in some way during various parts of lockdown. So that's really interesting in itself because I've seen some incredible practice going on because these students who often need a higher ratio of adults' attention or they need calmer environments, or they need more sensory breaks, or they need fewer distractions in order to to concentrate on their learning. They've had that. They've been in schools where there's one-to-one teaching going on, or there's even sometimes two-to-one teaching going on because the student doesn't arrive. Some of these children and young people have had some really wonderful experiences for themselves during this kind of strange transitioning period because they've had education that suits them better now for those ones I think what's going to be really interesting and when I say interesting I mean difficult is that they've had the teachers to themselves they've had the school a little bit more to themselves they've had a quieter environment etc and suddenly everyone's going to come back And that's going to be a really challenging transition, especially when we're talking about young people with attachment issues, children who really need that support from adults to go from, say, one to one to back into a classroom. I'm thinking secondary mainstream where it's 30 odd. That's going to be quite a shift. Also, I know that the timetabling has been very loose and, and quite brightly. So I know there's some students who've been going in, let's say, two days a week. And now suddenly they'll be back in five days a week. Everyone's there and we're back to six periods a day. Bang, bang, bang. One area we're going to have to watch is those students who've actually been used to having something quite fruitful for themselves. And now going back to something that we know can be quite difficult for them. Then we've got the students who haven't been into school at all. So, from my experience with my SEMH pupils, I mean, there's been such a variety. We've had some students who've absolutely thrived with remote learning. I've had one particular pupil I work with who is in key stage three, secondary school, missed around seven or eight years of education due to having to move out of home from biological parents, going into care, massive also special educational needs in terms of dyslexia. So when they arrived with us, they could not read or write all of the letters of the alphabet, let alone any words. And yet this student through the remote learning that I've been doing with him over the time has just thrived. And -hmm. they're now reading sentences in a way they never have. And we've really investigated why is that? Why have they thrived so much in this period? It comes down to things like they're not being distracted the others this is in a special education setting there's always a lot of fun and games going on yeah <laughs> let's put it that way sometimes students with special educational needs are taken out of mainstream classes so for example they might miss french to top up english that could be really frustrating for them i'll I quote my dad on this my dad was one of these students and he said you know oh i was taken out because i was one of the thick kids
1: yeah horrible. but the, the problem with that is the kid a lot of children do think that I mean, my son's dyslexic. Him, you know, my son's okay. dyslexic, and so he has that struggle with a lack of confidence because he's yeah. always been in the bottom group, and therefore assumes he's yeah. he's stupid. He's exactly. not, but he just processes the words and letters differently. And you know, in we've spent years way. trying to do that. So yeah, when when that's ingrained, mm.
2: yeah, some of these students have actually been able to just have sessions remotely and not had to bother with oh, but I'm missing this class because I'm in this group or all that kind of social anxiety around it is just gone. And I've experienced a child who usually takes 20 minutes to settle in a session with me. I have to do, you know, all these kind of activities to bring us down and bring us ready to work and blah, blah, blah. I don't know how to do any of it. I've turned on the computer and I sat there ready to learn. So again, that transition from that back into the classroom is going to be very peculiar. And then we get to the other students who, unfortunately we haven't had contact with. They've put the phone down. They have refused to engage with any remote learning. Maybe home life's not great. Maybe home life can't support education. They are the students that unfortunately I'm hearing about within the media and within the government are being called like the kids who will be behind. That's really not helpful. We cannot, as we welcome these students back in, if we label them in our heads, all oh, right, okay, they're going to be the ones who are behind because they actually ended up being nocturnal through the whole of lockdown. A lot of SEMH students have become nocturnal <laughs> and they're going to be behind. That's, that's going to be really detrimental to us welcoming them all back in. So that's, so that's me talking about the SEMH kind of sides of it. We've also got students who will have been through a bereavement at this time we need staff trained in in how to support bereavement with our young people because that will be obviously a higher percentage as well and then going on to the other students now they may not be labeled as vulnerable SEMH people whatever your labels are at your school but they've just been through a global pandemic we don't know how that's going to affect them but what we do know as humans is when we go through change that we are not in control of Usually our behaviour changes. And if that's what happens to adults who, let's say, are fairly regulated human beings, then when we look at our teenagers, um, we don't know what's going to happen. And so these next few weeks, as we're welcoming, inverted commas, normal schooling back, absolutely need to make space and time because even just talking about all those different kind of categories of pupils there might be. I have missed some out. I know I have. There's going to be, in each of our schools, pupils who've been through stuff or who are going through stuff that we don't know about. Also, we need to think from a safeguarding point of view, it's really important. Are we looking at domestic abuse situations or mental health issues that have increased or really come to the surface during this time? There's going to be so much going on. If we walk in there and say, right, let's concentrate on the
1: GCSEs,
2: for example, I feel we're going to have a backlash.
1: Yes. So what do you think some of the solutions are, Adele? Oh, good good question. With your magic wand. Yes. Well, don't you know, in my part-time, I am Mary Bobbins.
2: I gave a talk for Global Brew Ed isolation during lockdown, which was really fun. (laughs) If you don't know Brew Ed, go and have a look at Brew Ed on Twitter. They're a, a good team of people who share loads of knowledge with lots of teachers. So I was invited on to do a talk there and... My talk was safety and well-being first, learning second. Yeah, great. The message really there, it came from a blog I wrote a couple of years ago, which you can find on my website, safety first, learning second. And it's really this idea that unless we feel safe, unless we feel comfortable, we cannot learn. When I say learn in that sense, I mean formal academic learning. We are always learning. So even if a child is a refugee and is escaping a war zone, they might not be doing maths, but they're absolutely learning some things about survival. But what I'm talking about here is, is in an academic sense of being back in school. We need to ensure that all staff and pupils feel safe before we run into doing all the academic focus. Now, controversially there's a little caveat with that because there are some children and I recognize this because I would have been one of them to feel safe it would be that getting on with the work would be the thing to make you feel safe uh, <laughs> so yes, of course. there are a few pupils who will feel that as well so what this means is we need something really open for different styles and different approaches that different pupils need so if you have students who just need to go to school and for it all to be normal you know maybe school is the safest place that they have they need the opportunity to, to have that you need the work ready maybe they want to do all those facts or that massive long algebra maybe that makes them calm down great have that available but also i think we need an absolute increase let's say in primary settings and things like circle time in secondary we need to make sure that we're putting in that pastoral care a double triple if we possibly can but alongside that Everything that I've talked about—that students might have gone through, staff might have gone through as well.
1: Mm.
2: So for myself, like I—I I definitely wobbled during lockdown and transition. My personal situation, I, for one reason or another, I ended up apart from my fiance for five months. She was in mm. a different country. That really affected my well-being. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it absolutely. Was- it was an unusual situation. I was living in a different place that wasn't kind of a home. She wasn't there. And that definitely, definitely affected me. And I know that that's actually quite a, a small kind of effect compared to some of my friends and colleagues that I've spoken to. And also, I've been speaking a lot with Kimberly from nourish the workplace she's done quite a lot of work as well recently about supporting our senior leaders and head teachers this cannot be come on head teachers you need to make sure tick box tick box tick box tick box tick box it needs to be something that we're all thinking about and it really worries me the rhetoric that comes from the government sometimes that says okay schools now need to be doing xyz and and that it falls on those head teachers and those head teachers are human too Mm. Uh, and we need to make sure the support's there. And I think in terms of going back to behavior, what is really useful is to remember that those government guidelines are guidelines. They're not the law. It is not the law to follow them until they, until if and when they say that it, it is. Um, they are just guidelines. And for some pupils, they won't be appropriate. They're okay. guidelines for the majority. And I think that can be a helpful permission slip to teachers and staff to think, okay, those are the guidelines and for the majority we're following them. But actually for this student who we've discovered whilst they're in lockdown experienced, for example, domestic abuse, then getting them back into full timetable academic focus might not be the right thing right now. You know, there's some counselling that needs to be done there, there's some, there's some therapy, there's some support that's needed. And so I see the guidelines for what they are, their guidelines.
1: And when you're talking about guidelines, Adele, do you mean the, the COVID-19 guidelines? Yeah, so we've had when
2: when my special school opened in the kind of semi way that we did, I spoke with the head teacher and they said to me, "Yes, at the start of the week we had forty one guidelines. At the end of the week we had forty nine. I haven't even had time to read them all in depth, let alone implement them." <laughs> so this, I mean, this is the pressure that I'm talking about that's being put on heads and, and governors and senior leaders. So it's those kind of things, and I would like to think the government is issuing those. with with our best interests at heart they are trying to help us but we are the ones on the ground we know what our pupils need which brings me round to another really important thing at the start of the year you may have different classes you may have pupils who've moved around etc etc always at the start of the year I advocate this anyway but I think it's more important than ever that we're looking at building relationships it's got to start there
1: and do you think that's where the safety, so building safety first, I guess, is that, that part of that element? Yes. Yeah. yes,
2: exactly. So if you look at Kim Golding, Dan Hughes's work, the connection before correction, it, it's that kind of similar philosophy of we need to know our pupils in order to know what's, what's good for them, what's comfortable for them, what's normal for them, and then when things go amiss, we, we can be aware of that, and that could that could come just something really simply, it's like, okay, they don't understand this this problem that I've set them, and hence why the pen's just flown across the room. Or it could be something much more serious, this child's really not getting on, actually, flags waving, this could be a safeguarding issue. Mm.
0: And now a short break to hear from our sponsors. CPOMS is an online system for schools to manage pastoral concerns and events, and is now used by over 10,000 schools. The main reason it works so well is that the categories of information a school logs on CPOMs are chosen by the school, so that the concerns you face that are unique to your community or individuals can be logged accordingly. It saves a huge amount of time compared to doing things on paper. Chronologies for pupils or school-wide reports can be generated quickly. The Service Point Support Team provide an incredible standard of service. And one of the main reasons that CPOMs are spread by word of mouth to so many schools. For more information, go to www.cpoms.co.uk, where you can also book a demo for your school. Now back to the podcast.
1: And I think, having done previous podcasts and interviewed pupils, that's come up quite regularly is that they feel that staff don't always dig a bit deeper and find out why a behaviour is happening. But it's quite common that students will say that that staff will just take it at face value will just sort of meet it head on and like this sort of punitive way actually if they understood what was going on for a lot of pupils there would be a change in approach probably
2: yes absolutely and I'm doing a TEDx talk it was supposed to be 2020 I'm, I'm quite sure we're not quite sure when it's going to be yet now but the title of that is my talk is see the child not the behavior yeah. because if you just react to the behavior you're not solving the problem and the example I give in my book about this is okay think about yourself as an adult when you haven't had breakfast for example and you let's say you always have breakfast and you miss it insert whatever habit you know works for you but you've missed breakfast but you kind of forgotten that you've missed breakfast because you're concentrating on the fact there's a staff briefing and actually you're supposed to call that parent and you haven't got the books yet. And you know, you're just going along as you do and you have some coffee and you keep yourself going. And let's say you snap at a colleague, If that colleague just takes you at face value, that you just snapped at them or patronized them or whatever, they're not really dealing with with you, actually. They're dealing with your reaction from I miss breakfast. Whereas if that person knows you, if they've built a good relationship with you, if that's a colleague who's actually a friend, they might say, oh, you, you seem a bit on edge. Are you okay?" And then that question enables you to dig back down and go oh you know what I didn't get a chance for breakfast this morning and that's what the issue is the issue is not that you've snapped at them I mean that's the reaction of course if we're taking that back to pupils there may be a consequence for that I'm not saying there shouldn't be consequences but if we're just dealing with the behavior it doesn't work no it doesn't solve the issue
1: I guess that's where the challenge comes as well, because as an adult we can we can reflect, can't we, safely and and, and reflect on our well. Perhaps this is because I didn't have breakfast. But for a lot of children and young people, understandably, their experience of life is limited. They haven't gone through lots of things. Maybe their environment, uh, both at home and school, doesn't show them how to do that. And unless we actually teach that aspect of reflection and self evaluation, knowing what your triggers are, knowing how to support yourself. And that's why the PSHE and all that side of things, yep. having mentors, people who are championing our young people, that yes. will still continue, won't it? It's not something that... Yep. They don't catch it in the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah <laughs> They yes. have to learn those things and they have they to learn them from people. Do. Absolutely. And I think there's two ways that teachers can think of this. I
2: agree with you. This is, this is why PSHE is so important. However, I think it also can infiltrate everywhere. So one of the ways to do that is to role model it ourselves. So for instance, I once was having the period pains of all period pains. It was a couple of weeks before the exams. I had a year 11 class. I needed to be at home. I was doubled over. I needed to be at home, but I had my martyr flag on, rightly or wrongly at that time. And I was going, no, but the year 11s need me. I will be in this lesson. And so I did. But I decided the only way I could do it is if I was honest with them. And I'd worked with them for a couple of years. They they knew me quite well. And I sat there. I had a bag pus hot water bottle on my stomach that the nurse had given me. <laughs> and they went, Miss, what's up? You're all right. And I said, look, I have hideous period pains right now, but I want to be here for this lesson. I said, but the only way I can possibly do this is if you let me sit here. I'm not going to move. <laughs> and one of my young people who usually has quite distracting behavior she stood up and went oh my god miss I'm going to teach the lesson (laughs) I stood up and she was excellent so I kind of fed her the lesson as it were and she kind of played at being the teacher she was engaged for two hours of that lesson Mm. and she learned so much that lesson and then from the other point of view from the kind of well-being looking after ourselves role modeling point of view the young people then knew that okay I I might be grumpy because I'm in pain but that's okay like sometimes that happens and I've been honest with them and they were so good with me they were mm. so attentive and understanding because I'd role modelled, hands up, something's not something's not 100% with me today. And that means I'm not going to be 100%, but I am going to be here. But you need to help me. You need to work yeah. with me. Yeah. And it's totally, totally what happened. Obviously, each teacher or member of staff has their own comfort about how much they want to share and what's appropriate. Mm. I'm not saying... We all share everything, but there are ways, especially if you're working in a school. I'm thinking special schools and in primary, where you've got perhaps some of those monitors. Are you having a red day, or a green day, or a blue day? Those kind of things, it, you know, it, it could be really appropriate for the staff to say, "Actually, I'm having a bit of a, a bit of a blue day today. I'm a, I'm a bit more tired." So. You you can kind of role model communication of emotions, communication, positive communication of unmet needs so that they can, like you say, not just breathe it in the air, (laughs) but see you doing it. And then something I've been writing about recently in my book is about how to then also infiltrate these lessons within all different subjects. Mm -hmm. So something that I advocate A lot is free writing. I've got a couple of blogs on that on my website because free writing is this incredible tool. If you're you're not sure what free writing is, it's the stream of consciousness, just writing, journaling, smudging ideas. I'm an English teacher by trade, so it fits quite nicely in my subject, but I also know of quite a few teachers who do it across different topics. I'll give you an example of how I might set it up in a secondary, but I've got examples on the blog of how how to do it in different settings. I might once a week, 10 minutes, just give the students a scrappy journaling book. Usually here's the top tip. Usually there's some books in the back of the resource cupboard that were from years ago that don't have the school logo on. So we can't use them anymore. (laughs) Go Uh, and grab those ones. (laughs) Go and grab those ones. Make them your free writing book. It's really important they're not to be marked. This is not anything about ticking any boxes in that sense. But what it really does is it gives the students just 10 minutes a week to reflect Like you were saying, Anna, that chance to, how am I feeling? How is work going? How is this going? Initially, the students can find it quite challenging because they're like, "What? why are we doing this? And I've worked with people that after working with them just for a term or two, they are then asking for more of this time, more of this time to themselves to reflect. On the other side, you're also getting students doing extended writing sitting oh. in silence and writing for 10 minutes completely it also kind of ticks those boxes as well but it's a really a good, great tip yeah reflection tool if you want to know more about how to put that in your setting I've written quite a lot how to about how to adapt it for different types of pupils so yeah mm. go and have a look at that
1: and it's funny isn't it I think if you, you sort of traditionally you wouldn't say like free writing and journaling and just viewing out whatever's in your head onto a page mm. is actually going to help pupils with their behavior and self-regulation and feeling safe but you know you've really sort of made that connection with the fact that we can then have that opportunity to use it as a reflection tool to literally park everything that's in our head on a page as well and just have that freedom where nobody's going to check anything either yeah it's really interesting
2: as teachers, so the thing I always say is that they're allowed to write not to be marked on the front of the book, which they find incredibly liberating. Um, <laughs> but then I do tell them it is still the school book and I will still be looking at it so occasionally um, and that's really useful I mean I have found out all sorts of things about pupils that they wouldn't necessarily tell me especially in that mainstream I mean I have I have classes with 36 in you you haven't got time to get under the behavior build positive relationships with every single student within the first two weeks it just doesn't happen whereas this I would pick say five students a week whose books I just just whizzed through and I've flagged up uh, mental health issues quite early because I've Mm -hmm. spotted it in there before they felt ready to tell someone I spotted that a young person was thinking of coming out as trans and they mentioned it in the free writing first oh and another student who unfortunately was feeling quite depressed and Mm. showing signs of self-harm I found all of that early in the free writing
1: how did the students feel about you looking at them did they did you seek permission yes yeah
2: so I that's one of the caveats when you you set it up you say it's your book I'm not going to touch it or do any marks in it. However, it is still a school book. So I will sometimes be looking at it. I'll still sometimes be reading it. Um, I might occasionally have a quick chat about, about things, but it is your books. You have to really clearly demarcate that this is yeah. not private-private, but it is your space. In mine as well, I always... <laughs> It's hilarious I always say if you need to swear you need to put an asterisk mm-hmm. and they spend the whole first session just just doing that just like, <laughs> <laughs> but that's just and then after that they kind of get over it and that goes but on the positive side I mean an example that I've been writing about in my book recently is I read once about a young person who I think they had a dance competition at the weekend and this student was really 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 shy really really struggled to engage in learning and it was one of those classics it wasn't that her behavior was bad and disruptive but actually her shy behavior was stopping her from learning because she wouldn't ask for help and so I would often get to an end of a lesson and realize damn she hasn't understood anything um and it was to do with her her lack of confidence and she wouldn't do any group discussions she wouldn't do any um working in pairs nothing but I found out in her free writing she had a dance competition one weekend the Monday after I stood on the threshold I did my shaky hands a la Paul Dix. I did my shaky hands on the threshold and all I said to her was how did the dance competition go? Something changed because she, she would have never have told me about that. She'd forgotten she'd written it in a free writing and she didn't realise, she'd kind of forgotten that I would occasionally see the free writing and it was just that question and her whole face lit up because I saw her. And I saw her for her rather than her shy behavior. And from there, we started to build up a relationship. Then she started feeling confident for asking me for help. And by the end of the year, she was joining in with group discussions. And I was so thrilled to be able to ring her parents and say, your child is now doing this. This is Mm -hmm. incredible progress. And that all came from the free writing, literally just whizzing through and saying, oh, she's got dance competition, note to self, ask her on Monday. That didn't take much of my time it was still part of the lesson it was still part of the learning I could go on about free writing for a long time
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think as well though it's the fact that you acted on that as well and the relationship that then created the connection which Mm. was I see you and how important that is for young people in big schools where it does feel like you're just one of a number or sometimes treated like you're one of a number that that doesn't help and I think For some pupils as well, I think we forget that for some, that external behaviour that we have to deal with and we see. But for a lot of pupils, that feeling goes internally and they sit there very quietly. That It erodes their self-confidence and self-esteem, but we never really know. And I think it's just being aware that they're not all numbers. They are people, like you quite rightly said, have all been through this most weirdest, ridiculous time in education in our lives that we've never known before. Being able to see the students for who they are is really important.
2: I've got another top tip for check-in regulation, just a little thing that I use. When you're taking the register, you do not need to hear yes, miss, times 32. So what I tend to do with the register instead is just ask for one word that explains how they feel that day. A lot of the time it's bored, 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 bored. <laughs> I'm hungry. Um, you get this, yeah, hungry, bored, annoyed, OK, blah, <laughs> but if you keep that in as your practice over the weeks that you work with your students you start to find out what's normal then when when there's a problem again it's a really quick easy thing that doesn't require any extra time or planning and also yes miss or yes sir or, or yes mix over 35 is, is quite boring but it's just a really good kind of litmus test to kind of know okay how how are these pupils doing and and then it can inform how you you teach that lesson and I think that would be a really useful thing to do right now as we're going back into these this unknown ways of teaching
1: fabulous what a great tip and I think what's been interesting having done the podcast recently is how many tips have been about those sort of sense checks so that we all just get that overall feeling how people are doing and then when when we notice they're not okay we can just check in with them and and dip in I really like that that's brilliant
2: I I like that you just called that sense test I'm writing that down I like that (laughs) that's what I mean I've been calling it litmus test but I think sense test probably is a bit more universal
1: I'm I'm nicking that one Anna thank you that's all right you nick away Uh, I just (laughs) do reference me there every time you use it thank you (laughs) Fabulous. So where can people find you? I mean, you've talked about your blog and your website, so you might want to mention that, but I guess you're on social media too. Yes.
2: So I'm over on Twitter at Adele Bates Z. That's Adele Bates Z. And my website is adelebateseducation.co.uk. And over on there, I've got quite a few offerings. Some are free, some are paid. I've got two free video series that are about managing behaviour in a classroom. So one is aimed at teachers and trainees and teaching assistants who are very much on the ground in the classroom managing the behaviour the other one is for school leaders governors people who are making decisions around policy around behaviour and that's that's very much about supporting staff and supporting pupils at, at a wider school level so there are those two video series that are free they're on my mm-hmm. homepage there's my blogs that also have lots of vlogs which are video yes. blogs <laughs> so there's lots on there usually around behavior semh and inclusion then i also offer training going into schools and training around behavior and speaking at conferences and then this is coming out in september so by then which is in the future to me right now <laughs> um, i will also have there's a couple of online trainings as well so there's a smaller one And this is aimed at teachers or even parents who are homeschooling, parents and carers. It's a downloadable resource Mm -hmm. and that's a kind of work yourself through bit by bit thing. And also I've got an online training that's a much more kind of big group discussion thing. We have lessons, modules, et cetera, and that will be up there as well. So there's quite a range depending on what you need, all mainly around behavior, SEMH and inclusion
1: excellent wow what a great offering and thank you so much for giving up your time today as well and your generosity in being able to do that so thank you so much for joining me today
2: you're very welcome as you could tell I could bang this drum all day <laughs> so thank you for giving me the chance to do it to you rather than my partner who's bored listening.
1: <laughs> brilliant There seems to be a common theme threading throughout how we support children and young people as they return following lockdown and indeed when we think about business as usual and that is seeing the child as a child, as a person, connecting with them and understanding them as an individual who may be different from us. In that way they need our support in being able to reflect, to regulate and connect and educators really are in the best place to do this. I want to refer you to two government documents and one is the Keeping Children Safe in Education 2020 and in there there's a strong reference to teachers being able to understand the links between mental health, behaviour and attainment. And there is also the Mental Health and Behaviour in Schools document from March 2018 and this was written by the Department for Education. It's an easy read and I highly recommend it. It really starts pulling together how government policy is starting to encourage teachers and leaders to understand the links between mental health and behaviour and therefore attainment. Policy aside, Adele has kindly referenced some free writing guide, so if you're interested in finding out more about her idea around free writing and its purpose and how it can support young people, it's worth taking a look at her website too for further ideas So do go on to Halcyon Education's website and you can download the free writing guide and also have a look at Adele's too.
0: We hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For more information and support on this topic, go to the resources section on the website. That's www.halcyon.education.org forward slash podcasts.